We are entering Lent, and we have this new sermon series we're launching into called Humanity's Condition. And as we kind of launch into this, we, we began four days ago when we had ashes put on our heads in the sign of a cross, and we heard the words that um, to repent and believe the gospel, that we, um, there's, God is acting in us and through us and upon us and for us, because we are mortal beings. The scriptures tell us in Genesis that we are come from the dust and that to the dust we shall return. And in the season of Lent, we are called to remember that, to consider our mortality, consider our brokenness, our frailty and our vulnerability. And so for the next five weeks, we are going to have this series that kind of leads us into um, to consider what it means to be human, the condition that we have as humanity. And so we will consider different stories through the Bible and the Old Testament that kind of lays out and makes bare our vulnerability and our condition. This morning we are in a familiar, familiar story of the Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, and picking up again in chapter 3 of Genesis and reading through verses 1 through 7, hear this portion of the Garden of Eden story. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to till it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you may freely eat of every tree of the garden. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall die. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it, or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to eat to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. And may God bless the reading of the word. Thanks be to God. This familiar story kind of talks quickly about the human condition, this condition of sin that we all live with. We, we live with, a, with this whole notion of temptation every day and every moment of our life. The temptation is to obey God or disobey God, to be in a relationship with God or to break relationship with God, to be in a relationship with one another or to break that relationship with one another, to be in a relationship with the creation 
or to break that relationship with creation. It's not always just our choice. We've inherited this condition and passed along from generation to generation to generation. And we live with it. You know, I had a, a professor when I was working on my doctoral program at, at Columbia School of Theology, and her name was a New Testament scholar. Her name was Elizabeth Johnson. And when she talked about sin, she said, don't think of sin so much as an act. Think of sin as more of a condition. And she went further to say, people who can really speak to sin, to have a, a clear understanding and be able to best articulate sin, the condition of sin, is someone who is dealing with an addiction. To have that monkey on their back that they cannot for the life of them, get rid of it. It's attached. And it gnaws at them day after day after day. Someone who deals with an addiction understands sin clearly. So it makes me think. If sin is part of our condition now, that we pass along from one to the other. And this temptation to continue to sin, to disobey, what does it look like? How do we, how do we live with that? What does it mean for our life day in and day out? And maybe one way to think about it is the way that uh, Frederick Beekner speaks of it in an article he calls Eve, and it was published in Peculiar Treasures, a book. He writes, Like Adam, Eve spent the rest of her days convincing herself that it had all worked out for the best. Their new life didn't turn out to be as bad as had been predicted, and somehow their marriage weathered the change. If they had moments of terrible bitterness over what had happened, they had other moments when it became more of a bridge than an abyss between them. And when the question of which of them was to blame got lost in the question of how both of them were to survive, one son died an ugly, senseless death, and another went through life as disfigured by remorse as by a cleft palate. But all in all, things didn't go too badly. When the last child left home, it wasn't the easiest thing in the world to be alone again with a man who, after his third martini, might still lash out at her as a snake in the grass and a bad apple. But at least they still had their independence and their principles, which as nearly as she could remember, were what they'd given everything up for. They stood, however grimly, at times on their own feet. It was only once in a while at night, just as she was going off to sleep, with all her usual defenses down, that her mind drifted back to the days when, because there was nothing especially important to do, everything was especially important. When... Too good not to be true hadn't yet turned into too good to be true. When being alone was never the same as being lonely. And then sad and beautiful dreams overtook her. 
which she would wake up from homesick for a home she could no longer even name. To make something not quite love with a man whose face she could not quite see in the darkness at her side. It's a condition that we've grown accustomed to. And if we're not careful, we will be careless and we'll be comfortable in our condition. And that's why we have Lent. To draw us back. To remind us of who we were created to be. What we were created to be. Why we're here. And so we have stories like Genesis. The story of Adam and Eve. What a wonderful story. I just love the story. About a man and a woman who lived life innocently. Completely oblivious to the freedoms that they really had. Because they had one choice that they couldn't make. That they shouldn't make. But they were bent to make it. And another creature, the serpent, entertains the idea, the notion, the temptation that yes, if you eat of this one fruit of this tree in the middle of the garden, you won't die, but rather you'll be like God. You'll know what God knows. You'll know the difference between good and evil. You'll know freedom. And it's in that choice, in that temptation, that life changed. Because all kinds of relationships were broken. The relationship between Adam and God, between humanity and God, between one human and another, between humanity and all of creation. And everything spills, cascades from these broken relationships. We reinterpret our relationship with God. No longer do we see it as a, as a wonderful opportunity to walk with God in the garden. But now we are afraid of God to be seen by God, to be encountered by God because of our vulnerability, because of our nakedness. Our innocence has been lost. And out of that lost innocence comes shame. And we try to hide ourselves with anything and everything that we can. And out of this shame, and out of this broken relationship with God comes fear. Fear that we really didn't understand until the relationship was shattered. You know, I told this story in the previous service and I felt kind of uncomfortable telling it, but I'm going to tell it again. Because I was affirmed after, after the story, after the service, because somebody else had a similar encounter. Do you, do you know what blockbuster movie came out in early June of 1975? Began the whole history of blockbuster summers. Any idea what that movie is? Nope, not Star Wars, but close. Jaws. 
Jaws came out in June of 1975. Jaws changed the way movies were made, when they were made, when they were released. Let me tell you a little story about Jaws. When it came out in 1975, I was nine years old, about to turn ten. I wanted to go see Jaws so bad. Oh, I wanted it. So my parents said, okay. And they asked my grandparents to go. Who I love my grandparents. We went to the Florida Theater, downtown Tallahassee, for Jaws. Stood in line to get tickets. Walked in, nine-year-old Sterling. Goes in with his parents and his grandparents. Gets a big thing of popcorn and a Coke. And sits down for the most enjoyable of experience of his life. I was terrified. <laughs> Let me tell you the truth. I didn't get in the water at the beach. I didn't go fishing in a river, lake, or the ocean. I didn't get in pools, lakes, or creeks for a year. We would go to the beach every summer for vacation. I became a big fan of sandcastles that summer. I wasn't about to get in that water. Now, before the movie... I was in the water, I frolicked, I swam, I went in over my head, I was everywhere. I, I didn't have, I have care in the world. Sharks were there. I knew they were there. But I wasn't afraid of sharks. I loved to go fishing with my dad. Did all kinds of fishing. So a year later, we're fishing. And we've stopped in the flats off of St. Mark's. And we've, we're fishing for bait fish. To go trout fishing. And no sooner have we let the lines down, a fin comes by our little 13 and a half foot Boston whaler. And my dad started, was ready to start putting stuff back in the, in the tackle. Start pulling everything back in, but I was fine. A year had passed. My fear had eased. But I'm quite aware of sharks now. I think about it to this day. When I'm in a pool and bubbles come up, I'm thinking, what's below me? <laughs> fear is an odd thing. And fear comes at the most inopportune times. And sometimes we invite it. Because we've disobeyed. We've gone where we shouldn't go. Done what we shouldn't have done thought what we shouldn't have thought, said what we shouldn't have said, and we invite fear and shame. It's a condition of being a human. But there's good news in all of this. There's good news for humanity in our shame and in our fear. God still approaches us. God still desires us. And God still reaches out to us to ease our fear. To help relieve our shame. To give us choices. To obey and to be faithful. And by His grace to find a righteous life. To live a righteous life.
That's the kind of God that we have. It's the kind of God who created everything that we know and don't know. It's the kind of God who places us in a beautiful and a good garden. You know, in, in the scriptures, in the Genesis, what good means in those six days of creation, after every element of creation, God looks at what's been created and says, it is good. And what God means is that it's fulfilling its purpose. Its intentions are being met. That the, the grass is growing and producing seeds, which will produce more grass. The plants grow and produce seeds and will produce more plants. Trees grow and produce fruit, which will produce seeds and will produce more trees and fruit and more seeds and so on. That the creation is growing and progressing as it should. And that is good. Humankind progressed as it should for a short time. And then we found ourselves out of the garden. Out of relationship with God. Out of relationship with one another. Out of relationship with creation. And we found ourselves afraid and ashamed. If we look at the story of creation, we can see these breakdowns occur. When Adam, you know, it's interesting that you know, Eve has caught a lot of flack over the years. And a couple of things we need to remember when Adam came into being, was created, Eve was not here yet. And when God looked at Adam and looked at creation and said, he, this creature, Adam, this mud man, this earth man, this earthling, needs a partner. He needs community. And he scoured the creation. And not a suitable partner was found. So that's when a deep sleep fell upon Adam and God removes the rib and creates Eve from Adam's rib and from the dust and breathes life into both of these creatures. But Adam's the one who received the instructions. Adam heard, don't eat from the tree in the middle. And then when the serpent approaches Eve, Adam is with her. He's not off tilling somewhere. They're at the tree together. And Adam apparently says nothing, does nothing. And he chooses to eat. But when God encounters them in their shame and in their fear, and they're hiding behind fig leaves and bushes, what does Adam do? She did it. That woman that you gave me. She gave me the fruit to eat. We can see in all of this, at the disobedience at the, at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the relationship between God was broken. When Adam and Eve, when humanity decides to disobey, the, the, the relationship 
among humanity, between us, is broken when Adam turns and says, she did it. The relationship between humanity and all of creation is broken when Adam and Eve are sent out to toil. When she will strike at the snake's head and the snake will strike at her heel, everything has fallen apart because humanity has a condition that is bent on temptation, that is not above disobedience, that is not above not stewarding creation and stewarding one another, caring for creation and caring for one another. That's the human condition. And in all of this brokenness, we're left with shame and fear. So let us make our way through Lent, acknowledging that we have shame. We live with it because we are broken people. We live with that. And we live with fear of all kinds of things, of mechanical sharks or snakes or apples or violence or neighbors or family. But let us know that God is with us and continues to reach out to us to bridge the shame, to bridge the fear, to bridge the relationships and offer us grace. That's what Paul tells us in Romans. Is that in all of our sins, God's grace and Jesus' righteousness is far greater than all of the humanity's sins. And the revelation of Christ, of God's grace and love, can cover all of us. And all of our sin, and all of our shame, and all of our fear. That's the good news. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.